0: let's visit the 90s all over again put on those hammer pants this is dope nostalgia
1: welcome to the podcast that celebrates the best and most exciting things that happened in the 90s this is dope nostalgia i'm naomi your host and this is part two of our series on the cable music channel that was huge 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 in canada much music. I remember it being on channel 23 on cable, and I remember that was the most exciting thing about getting cable as a teenager, was finally having the chance to watch music Watch much music and I did like day and night, like constantly. I was obsessed with it. I was videotaping every music video I could, every appearance by my favorite artists, and all the VJs that were absolutely amazing kept us amused at all times. So it's really nice to delve back into those times of much music. There's a certain VJ who wants to bring those memories back almost like a 2.0 of much music, Ed the Sock. And uh, yeah. He agreed to be on the show. Now he asked me, who do you want to talk to today? You want to talk to Ed or you want to talk to me? I said, I want to talk to you. Steven. Stephen Joel Kirzner, who is the talented gentleman who is the voice and the master of puppetry with Ed the Sock. He's on the show today to tell you more about his time at Much Music, what he is up to now, and how he wants to do a revival of the classic television channel in his own way. I couldn't be more excited to have Ed the Sock on the show today. Thank you and welcome Stephen Joel Kirzner to the show.
0: Wikipedia moments. I'm telling you that I'm just not going to take it anymore. I've had it. I'm telling you the disrespect. All right. I don't have to take this kind of crap. I'm a big star now. Oh, we're on. Hey, how are you? Ed the Sock here on Much Music. Hey, everybody. Ask me how I am. How are you? I'm pissed off. You know what? You know what my day was like? I wake up, I get out of bed, try to figure out exactly whose bed I was in. I uh, get dressed, I come downtown, figure I just come, come down to the building, check my mail. I show up and Marnie says, oh, by the way, you're on at four. I'm not supposed to be on the air today. Whose stupid idea was this? What do you think I'm at your beck and call 24 hours a day? I got nothing else to do like Diego? You want me to just hang out here all the time? All right. Huh? Huh? Why don't you go dig up Michael Williams? I bet he'd be glad to be here anytime you wanted him.
1: Ed the Sock is a sock puppet character created and voiced by Stephen Joel Kirzner, who first appeared on Canadian local cable television in 1987. He is best known for his hosting appearances in the 1990s on Much Music and his own late-night talk show, Ed's Night Party. He is a gray sock puppet with green hair, round eyes, a scowl, a cigar, and a rough gravelly voice. He was a huge part of Much Music, a huge part of City TV, and a huge part of Canadian pop culture in general. He's still a voice to be revered, and everybody knows Ed the Sock. Are you kidding? So check him out now on the FU Network. He tells us a bit about it and his future plans for reinventing Much Music. Check it out. Welcome Stephen Kersner, a.k.a. the creator of Ed the Sock. I'm out in Alberta. Um... I was born and raised watching much music, pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) So I put together this episode where um, I want to talk about some of the memories and experiences you guys had as as VJs in those days. And I also want to know what you're up to now. Now, what's the origin story of Ed the Sock and how he came to be?
2: Uh, I was running a uh, cable access station when I was 18 years old. Um, and at the time, I was doing political programming, because I thought I knew everything, uh, as most 18-year-olds do, mm. and a friend of mine was doing a variety, a comedy variety talk show type thing, and he was brilliantly funny, but very unfocused, and, and was never able to really tell the rhythms of a conversation as to when it was a good time to wrap the conversation up, because in cable access, there weren't commercials, yeah. so we didn't have regular segment lengths the segment would go as long as the segment uh, you know as long as it, it, it was a compelling um but he would let it go too long and he needed somebody there as a co-host to try to guide him along a little bit and it, because he came in infrequently he came in different days of the week he didn't unlike everybody else he didn't have a regular scheduled scheduled day mm the co-host had to be somebody who was there all the time. And the only person who was there all the time was me because I ran the place. <laughs> but I wasn't about to go on and be a second banana on a uh, talk show, a uh, comedy show, while I was doing serious political programming. Right. Um, at the time, my friend and I, the same friend and I, had been lampooning a friend's father and his stepfather. They're, they're, we turned them into caricatures and each had their own, you know, we, we mimicked their voices and their attitudes. One was a, a bullshitting womanizer type. Mm-hmm. Um, his womanizing was just, it was so, such self-aggrandizement. It was so clearly not true um, that it was amusing and pathetically amusing uh, because he was in his, at that time, 50s. And at those, in those days, 50s is like today's 70s. You know, th- you were a lot older when you were in your 50s back then. Um, the other guy was uh, his stepfather, who was kind of a bizarre guy. And uh, was at times out of it. Um, seemed like he'd be, he'd be focused on bizarre things, little picayune details about things. And he had a very gravelly voice. And so we combined the sort of womanizing, I know better than the rest of the world attitude with the gravelly voice. And I went to the kids' show uh, area where there was a filing cabinet with all kinds of props in there for the kids' show. And there was a lot of stuff in the arts and crafts bin. One of the things was there was a clean sock. Um, (laughs) There there were other things there to create things with. There was the puppet set for uh, a park Uh, and the grass was uh, green fun fur. So I just cut some of that, took the the tops of 2 YooHoo glue sticks, two Letraset vinyl letter uh, uh, O's that became his pupils, and (laughs) I happened to have a cigar sitting around in my office that somebody had given me as a gag gift, and put all that together and created this puppet. And uh, that's how Ed the Sock was born as a co-host for this one show.
1: I thought those eyes might be glue stick caps.
2: Yeah, they're and to this day they remain YooHoo glue stick caps. No matter how many times I make a new Ed, they're <laughs> YooHoo glue stick caps. Guys, stick to that and the green fun fur. Um, remain exactly the same over the years. The same materials.
1: How many puppets have there been? How many? Eds? Twelve. Twelve version. Yeah. Version ten. Version eleven.
2: Yeah, I'm currently on version twelve. Mm -hmm. and uh version 12 is starting to get a little worn out so there'll be a version 13 coming up soon
1: (laughs) is is he more of a character like a set satirical character for you or does he speak for you
2: i think he speaks for everybody nice uh i think that uh most people the thing that we hear most often is that ed says the things that other people are thinking but for various reasons can't say or (laughs) won't say Um, So I think that Ed is everybody's inner voice. Um, Certainly, he represents, especially as the character has evolved, he's come to represent the same kind of political persuasion as I do, because I'm not going to put something out there that I don't agree with. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to further, you know, talking points for a position that I don't I don't agree with. So uh, Ed is but Ed is not really an alter ego. Ed is a character. Mm-hmm. Um, very fully defined, uh, three dimensional character, and he belongs to you know all of Canada at this point in time.
1: He's a Canadian treasure. Like he's very much a part of the landscape of, especially obviously City TV. And when you started the character, was it City TV first, and then Much Music?
2: Well, actually, it was cable access first. Mm-hmm. And the show that we created for him, Ed's Night Party, mm-hmm. w- which was the, the show that moved to City TV, was really popular on cable access and was aired simultaneously on cable access stations across the country, mm-hmm. and, which was the first show to ever do that. And then CBC came with an offer, but I knew CBC was the wrong place. Right. And City TV came with an offer, and City TV and Much Music were combined. Yeah. They wanted Ed's Night Party as a show on City TV, but they wanted Ed as a VJ on Much Music. So they occurred at the same time, way back in 1994. That would have kept you very busy. Uh, it did, because I was also at the same time still uh, an executive producer. In, uh, at that time, I had moved to, to a bigger cable station, to Rogers. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was still supervising the production of six series every week (laughs) plus doing the the late night show plus doing the much music stuff and uh so it was busy but i was you know never been happier being busy than with that kind of busyness
1: was the much environment combined with the city environment or was it two completely different locations in the same building
2: yeah two completely different locations in the same building because the much environment was everybody who worked for much was in the environment You know, it was like an ecosystem and it was it had its own you know doors to be able to enter through. So you could close them off and it was its own Mm biodome, whereas city TV was people spread throughout the building and shows produced downstairs in a space that was opposite to where much music was, separated only by the lobby. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of city TV shows were produced on location and so on. So city TV was a completely different animal. Uh, from much music, much music was a self-contained biosphere, mm-hmm. and everybody who worked there worked cheek to jowl with each other. You know, you there was no walls, there were no cubbies. Mm-hmm. Everybody saw everybody else, and when on the, you know, you, when you're on the phone, everybody heard everybody else's business. Um, so it was a completely different environment. I spoke
1: to Erica M. last week about the much environment and. One thing I expressed to her that I thought was kind of wild is how you guys could fill the room with people from outside in that environment, um, whether it be like electric circus or an intimate or an interactive. But then I was always worried about, aren't these people too close to the equipment? Like, <laughs> I, just,
2: uh, uh, I thought it well, was an
1: interesting mix to have the, the, the public right in there like that.
2: Well, eventually when we got the crane, which is called a jib, which is, uh, you know, a camera on the end of a long crane. So give those big sweeping shots. Um, they had to be careful not to hit anybody in the head. Mm. Um, and that was the skill of the jib operators, being able to lift up and do that sweeping shot and not come down and knock anybody in the head, <laughs> which, was, which was always a concern. But no, the bigger concern was stuff going missing from desks. because stuff was on, you know, you'd leave your stuff on your desk. And when they, sometimes when people would come in, the desks would get pushed out of the way, Mm -hmm. uh, but they were still there. And other times when people came in, when we were doing Ed's Big Wham Bam, the uh, primetime series, uh, we would just bring people in and we didn't move the desks and just put people around wherever there was space. So um, the bigger fear was that stuff would go missing off the desks. But strangely enough, to my knowledge, nobody took souvenirs.
1: The majority of people were probably not dicks about the fact that first of all they were lucky to be there
2: (laughs) well i think that everybody felt that much music was theirs yeah that it belonged to them and that stealing from it would somehow be sabotaging something that was their own that there was a sense of being trusted to go in there Mm -hmm. on that hallowed ground and they didn't want to ruin it um Everybody, everybody was pulling for much music. Everybody felt like they had themselves invested in that channel and in its success. And so I, didn't, I thought people didn't, it would feel like robbing from your own family, in a sense. So never heard stories about things going missing.
1: Yeah, um, I completely understand that. I've been to Toronto once, and it was early 2000s. And it was part of my, like, I had to do a quick pilgrimage over to Queen Street and John and just see the place from the outside. Um, and- It's too
2: bad you didn't see it from the inside.
1: Yeah, we had to book a tour from what I understood. Cause we came in and they're like, yeah, yeah, you got to book them. And we hadn't well, so. put
2: That or wait for us to open the window, <laughs> which <laughs> we ra- did frequently.
1: On the right day, but it was January. It was just a horrid day to open the window. But uh, I saw George in the window and waved at George. Gave me a wave back. I was happy with that.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I was wondering too, how distracting was it trying to do your shift with people outside the window? Did, is it just something you grow accustomed to?
2: Oh, it was, it, it, you know, the opposite of, of distracting it. It actually helped to create content. Mm. And because you could bounce off what was going, because, you know, we nobody went in there with any scripts. Nobody went in there with any preordained you know, format of what they were going to do and what they were going to say. It was all made up in the moment. It was true improv without, you know, most improv is, is not funny. Um, (laughs) But this improv was a very inspired kind of improv. And you made use of whatever was there, whatever was at hand, Mm -hmm. be it the production crew or the people outside the window. They provided so much grist for the mill. And also it gave you a sense of who it was you were doing this content for. Like you, you, it gave you a connection to the audience, which just talking to a camera, to a glass lens could never give you. So I think it was, it was a contribute, you know, a contributing factor to what made much music, much music, and a contributing factor to what made our jobs that much more fun.
1: Is, is Ed, um, a lot of just off the cuff, like improv? Oh,
2: other than fromage, it was all off the cuff.
1: You're a brilliant comedian and great timing and just they, the words come to Ed very quickly.
2: <laughs> they sure did. Yeah. And they, sure, and they still do. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I miss the live aspect of Ed because mm-hmm. now when I do videos, I'm starting to do more of them now with Ed. I mean, I've been doing, been very busy on Twitter and social media with Ed, mm-hmm. but that, there's no visual there. There's no interaction, live interaction with an audience. I just started uh, doing an Ed radio show on a small AM station oh, really? in the Toronto area, um, just because I wanted to once again get live phone calls, and do that interaction. I missed that so much that I was I'm willing to do this uh, this show on this tiny station. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way, it reminds me of where I started on cable access. It's uh, you know barely two years old and it's family owned. Mm-hmm. Um, But it's fun interacting with people live. There's really nothing that can compare to that. It gives your, it it puts wind underneath your wings in a sense. It Mm -hmm. gives you, you know, grist for the mill. It gives you content. It's, it makes you think because you have to act, react in the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know, after a while, those muscles atrophy. So I'm glad to be re-exercising those muscles.
1: Keep it sharp. Yeah. And now in a time where we're all in lockdown, now people have figured out a little bit better how to use things like Zoom and interact in a way they've never interacted before. Do you think that, uh, first of all, podcasting, your own podcast, is that something you're considering or have done?
2: I'm currently been doing it for a while. I started uh, something called Fun, the FU Network, which is a podcast network. And it's primarily political podcasts with some cultural uh, sort of... I guess you call them cultural, social. Mm-hmm. One of them is called mensplaining, um, mm-hmm. which I host as myself, which is men talking to men about being men in the modern age. And the title would lead you to believe that it's a bunch of douchebags, but, which it's <laughs> supposed to make you think that. And then when you listen, you discover it's quite the opposite. It's a m- bunch of very enlightened men um, demythologizing the, you know, the whole masculine myth yeah. Taking it apart, examining it, finding the things that work, finding the things that are toxic, finding the things that have changed and how they've changed, and uh, tackling that in you know numerous topics and all the the, the men from various walks of life, various uh, sexual uh, orientations and so on, uh, everybody sort of reaches deep down and, and and is honest about their thoughts and their feelings. So it's uh, we joke that it should be called cuck because. <laughs> It's, it's definitely not douchebags beating their chest. It's quite the opposite. Um, and Ed has uh, a podcast called Socket to Politics, mm. which is uh, a panel every week and just looking at the, the big political news of the week and, and taking that to, to task. And uh, probably be another podcast coming up soon with Ed, probably a, a, an Ed and Red podcast with uh, Liana as we did the late night show. Um, we did a podcast called Ed in Red years ago and it got exceptionally popular. And then we just got busy with yeah. other things and it sort of fell by the wayside and uh, thinking about bringing that back now too, because it'll be, it'll be fun. Um, I'll, post.
1: I'll post the links on our social media so everyone can check them out. Um, you definitely thrive on being busy.
2: Uh, well, what's the alternative? <laughs> <You know? laughs>
1: I agree, especially right now.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I've, I've always been busy. It's, uh, I'm kind of like a shark. If I'm not moving forward, I'm dying. Mm-hmm. So um, I just love the process of creating things. Um, I love the results of creating things. I get a rush still from creating things. Yeah, It's never been boring. It's never, uh, it's never gotten old or tired. And that's how you I, know you're
1: doing what you love. It's That's yeah <laughs> yeah what yeah. we all wish we could do
2: yeah i mean there's times you curse it but then i think about other times that i've had other jobs mm. i mean i worked for uh a while for a season at cbc trying to uh do my best to repair a friend's uh, television show and discovered nothing but resistance there um And it was the only time in recent memory in decades that I worked for somebody else, uh, tried to help somebody else fix their product. And it was maddening. The the decisions that were made made no sense. And in fact, they were contrary to sense. They were illogical in the extreme. And it, it becomes maddening when you see all these resources in place to create a really amazing show and all these people who are really talented in place to create a really amazing show. And the show turns out really lackluster because the filter of the two people at the top of the show just don't get it.
1: It's uh, That's discouraging because all the, all the things seem to be there to do to do something amazing and the balls oh yeah it's
2: frustrating you just think geez if if i had all these resources what i could do with this group of people and these resources and instead watching it all just sort of go to shit. we used to call it we used to call uh the people in charge of the show the of (laughs) fire because you'd give them good ideas and good written material my team would give them good written material and it would go through like a we would do we would mime like it was going through a wood chipper yeah. And just called it the fire. and it would come back with all the humor <laughs> and wit removed from it because the people who were who were given the ability to say yay or nay had no ability to create wit. They weren't witty. They weren't smart. Um, they weren't funny, and yet they were the people who got to decide what was what was witty, and what was smart, and what was funny. And a lot of it was over their heads, so they would just you know cut pieces out that were very clever because they didn't get it
1: you are the creator of something that i thought was very very fun as a kid and that was fromage the yearly fromage episode now how many years did you do fromage for
2: well first i have to correct you i didn't create fromage oh i'm sorry Uh, like no it's okay i took it over
1: okay
2: um fromage it was created by a VJ named Christopher Ward. Mm. Christopher Ward was one of the first Much Music VJs. Very talented guy. I'm uh, also a songwriter. He who, wrote Black uh, Velvet
1: with Lana Miles.
2: That's right. And the success of his songwriting got him out to LA, which is where he still lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe he's still a producer. I haven't talked to Chris in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, but he created it. with. He played a character named Simon de Camembert with a really cheesy French accent. Oh. And initially they ran video, foreign videos and videos that clearly had no budget and they made fun of them and they did it in a cheesy French accent. Um, and then when he moved, they, uh, asked Ed to host it, but they would come up with scripted stuff and I'd try to fix it. And, um, they'd say, yeah, yeah, okay, just go back to what was written. And the stuff was never very funny. Um, I was kind of embarrassed to be part of that show. And then, uh, the producer of that show moved to another channel within the Chum family, and so Fromage was going to stop. It uh, in 1999, Fromage was going to be non-existent going forward. And my wife Leanna and I decided no, Fromage should continue. Mm. And we decided that instead of taking shots at foreign videos, which is basically ha ha, let's look at the foreign people and laugh at how funny they are, which we thought was cheap. Yeah. And taking shots at videos where people clearly didn't have the money to do any better, which we thought was also cheap. You know, shooting fish in a barrel. It's 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 just very poor humor. It's low hanging fruit. We thought we should really take the task, the video producers who had the money and the resources to do better and still didn't. Or put messaging in their videos that was clearly ridiculous or toxic, um, (laughs) or went over people's heads. So we made it 1999, the worst videos of of all time, worst videos of of, of a century, (laughs) which of course, I mean, there was only videos for 20 years of that century, but that's still 20 years of videos. And uh, we went through, I mean, the original videos were on a tape format called three quarter inch, Uh which was a big, big tape. And it was the magnetic oxides that form videotape were falling off these tapes. Uh, they were so old and they would land on Liana's arms and she's a redhead, she's very, very uh, sensitive skin and she would get rashes from these magnetic oxides. Um, and we put the show together ourselves, wrote it, produced it, edited it, everything ourselves, and then just handed it in. We gave it to Denise Donlin, who was in charge of much music and she said, what's this? And we said, Fromage. She said, I thought that was canceled. We said, well, I guess it's not. <laughs> and she you know, good for her. She took it and she put it on the air and it did very, very well. It did better than any fromage previous years. Mm -hmm. And then it just kept getting bigger and bigger to the point that it was Much Music's uh, biggest, uh, most successful in-house produced production every year. And the numbers were just huge. The numbers were the same as the Much Music Video Awards, but instead of a a cast of hundreds and uh, a, a budget of millions, which is what the MMVAs had, uh, it was me and Leanna, and then later we had a, we had uh, an assistant who uh, worked with us and helped us get it done. But it was primarily me and Leanna, and Leanna was the one who did the the bulk of the grunt work, yeah. getting the choosing the videos and going through them all and choosing the ones that should make the short list. Um, so it was basically two people producing this show, getting them better results. I mean, they would run marathons of, of three and four hours running fromage episodes that had, that were you know, four years old, three years old, two years old, and then, you know, this year's uh, show. Um, and they would get better ratings on those reruns than they'd get on stuff that they produced new.
1: I think it's brilliant that you change that up to go after the guys who had the money to do better and didn't. I think that's much more entertaining. And I think- Well, I to know. punch
2: up rather than punching down.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that's what people would generally want to see. One video I stood out in my mind, that one uh, was that Biz Marquee video about the doo-doo
2: rap, the poo rap or whatever. <laughs> I, I don't even remember.
1: <laughs> because he had just had a hit with just a friend. And the second single they put out is like this, biz, this rapper sitting on the toilet talking about his poo. And you guys just did such an excellent job with that. That's an example of like the record company and taking them. Taking them down a peg when they well
2: the record companies um, were not happy. Yeah. They tried to get fromage stopped. Really? Yeah. Because but they eventually acceded to the, the realizing that well, because because the, the artists themselves wanted they would send emails saying, "Would you please fromage my 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 video this year?" <laughs> and we had to tell some of them, "Your video is not bad enough." Yeah you know, make something worse next year. Um, (laughs) but they considered it a badge of honor because they, they liked having fun poked at them too. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so it became a, it it became a thing, uh, a, a very unique Canadian honor to have Ed the Sock poke fun at your video on fromage. So once the artists were okay with it, the record companies calmed down. Did you write your interviews? No. Um, I would make, I would make little, I would jot down little notes mm-hmm. about what to say to them or what I'd think to say to them. But it was, these things were very much in the moment because
0: mm. these
2: were not standard interviews. I wasn't asking them the same thing everybody else was asking them. Yeah. And so you never knew what kind of answer you were going to get. Couldn't <laughs> predict it because these were questions that weren't your, you know, rote questions. They weren't the same thing that they had been asked over and over on the junket in every city, day after day, hour after hour. And you really got to know these celebrities much better through these questions because not treating them like they walked on water, not giving them that celebrity treatment, but talking to them like they were just another person, just a a peer, um, it brought out a different side of them. It brought out a more real side of them. And they had to engage their thinking And, you know, they were on autopilot before that, but they had to engage their thinking and they turned in better performances and they became much more likable because once you see somebody laughing at the same thing you're laughing at, it creates a bridge and a point of contact that isn't there when you see them as divas or as tortured rock stars or any of these other manufactured myths that were built around them. It, it it really humanized these people, and that's why you know celebrities came back again and again to be interviewed. Christina Aguilera would only do much music if Ed would interview her.
1: No way, that's incredible.
2: Yeah, I mean, and yeah, it was. She was she was terrific too.
1: And she doesn't have the rep of being so down to earth. So I think I think if this would be a refreshing change of pace for any artist to have this kind of a conversation with you very much more than the standard cookie cutter bullshit
2: well i mean there's a couple that stood out that weren't good you know one is vanilla ice if you are old enough to know who the hell that is oh yep um he was a real asshole (laughs) um but he was you know the bigger they were the better they were Mm. and the smaller they were the worse they were and they had
1: something to prove so they had all this ego bullshit
2: and they were oversensitive or, but, you know, or putting up a lot of bluster. Yeah. And that was the case with Vanilla Ice. He was on the downswing at that time and didn't go there to make fun of him. Went, We flew to Florida to do this interview mm. and didn't do it to make fun of him. Went to try to, like, he was kitschy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the whole idea was to sort of pal around with him. But he was such an asshole. Um, <laughs> so he got taken down. And Anthony Kiedis of the Red Hot Chili Peppers was a complete asshole
1: i've heard um, shitty things about the chili peppers
2: yeah well uh chad the drummer was terrific mm-hmm. interviewed him a few times he had a great sense of humor yeah. but anthony was uh awful anthony was <laughs> terrible he was at the one point just paused and ed said you want to hit me don't you and he paused just a little too long before he said no but that wow. no was very clearly a yes and it's funny because I spoke to Erica, uh, Erica M about a week ago yeah. and mentioned my experience with him. And she said she had a bad experience with him too. Yeah. So he's just generally a bad interview. But the bigger they were, the more fun they were and the more they wanted to talk to Ed
0: again and again. The Members of NSYNC, in fact, they have their members with them. I'm with uh, Joey and JC. So the question on everyone's mind is where's the other three deadbeats? What's going on? Uh, got some, some cheese right here, man. I got oh, some. Oh, yeah. you guys, you're already starting with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Look at that. We'll that testosterone rolling right. in here. No. Come uh, on. Actually, everybody, there, we're, we came out of work and we were working uh, on some stuff down there, and literally, we were the only two that could get away. Really? Yeah. So I'm here to party. In other words, the other guys are doing something important. You guys really got nothing to do but We're, we're basically oh. the, the people that just kind of goof around and don't do anything. We actually, we're the oh, extra Oh, like I do around like here. Yeah. Oh, basically. so already there's a connection. It's yeah. pretty instant. Right. All right. You can say that. So listen, when you guys uh, are down there and you see the, the girls crying, does it ever Get make Get a you, tissue. What? Get them a tissue. Get them a tissue. Not for all those you need a hell of a lot of tissues for all of right. them crying. Does it ever strike you what kind of empty lives they must have between <laughs> meeting you like a religious experience?
1: <laughs> wow! it's more fun for everybody everyone involved
2: well we did you know great interviews and uh the interviews that ed did with the celebrities were the ones that were memorable the interviews the other vjs did with the celebrities by and large weren't memorable i mean the only other memorable one i can think of was when george did an interview with sebastian bach and the guy hated him (laughs) and in the middle of the interview took his mic off threw it down and walked off i mean that was a classic
1: i've watched that clip probably three or four times and every time i'm just like oh how awkward shit but like sebastian bach that's no surprise there take he took himself no, very seriously
2: very serious and it's not like george was making fun of him that wasn't george's thing Mm-mm. um but the guy took himself far too seriously and you know you, you saw on, what happened
1: i'm on broadway i don't want to talk about fucking skid row
2: yeah and nobody much music wants to talk about broadway <laughs> You know, it's, this isn't about that. This is about your music career, not your Broadway career. Granted Broadway is doing music, but it, you know, much music wasn't about show tunes. No, nope. It was about rock and roll. And, you know, the, that's like when uh, the disgraced broadcaster John Gomeshi did an interview with uh, Billy Bob Thornton and Billy Bob Thornton, didn't want to talk about his movies Well, he wanted to talk about his music, but he was known for his movies. Mm-hmm. And so he tanked the interview. Um, yeah. But, uh, so, I mean, if an interview is going to go bad, better that it goes into a disaster area because then it becomes so bad. It's good. The worst is when it's just kind of awkward mm. and nobody says anything and there's a lot of dead air that that's just, sometimes that's fun to watch watching just how awkward it gets other times it's just dull
1: well it's like watching the office if it's done right
2: yeah exactly or other times it's just oh this is tedious
1: yeah boring yeah yeah no you're right you gotta take it to that place where. and the thing is is as a celebrity yeah you're gonna always get asked a bunch of questions that you've been asked a million times but you know what, you're living a pretty good life. You may as well answer the questions and then go ahead and promote what you wanna promote.
2: Well, that's the thing. I mean, a lot of people that uh, would be interviewed by Howard Stern, he was one of the greatest celebrity interviewers now uh, that there is. Um, But when he was doing his earlier career, part of his life, his evolution, and he would do stuff that was pretty raw, people would go on anyways, because they got to promote what they wanted. They had to play, play ball with him But at the same time, they got a chance to promote what they wanted to promote to his large audience. Mm -hmm. It's like play ball because this is the audience that that's interested in you. So play ball and don't seem like an asshole and people will like you better. And, you know, it's much music was very unique. It's there's nothing on YouTube right now that is anything like it. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because people have a camera and can do. Off the cuff interviews doesn't mean they're good at it. No. Um, just because you you know y- you can you can give me uh, a car and all the tools to to be a mechanic, I'm still not going to be able to fix your car. <laughs> I'll tinker around in there and I'll break a lot of things. Um, but just because I have the tools doesn't mean I have the skills. And there's so much stuff out there now. I mean, I just recently started digitizing. I have hours and hours of ed on much music uh from the original tapes Mm -hmm. and i'm sort of digitizing it and i digitized the very last ed's big wham bam show uh which was the prime time series and i watched it and i was like there is nothing that i have seen on youtube that has this particular alchemy this particular chemistry and formula there was just nothing Mm -hmm. there's just nothing out there like that people think that well we've got youtube now it's like that, that doesn't make any sense. That's like saying that, uh, you know, everybody's got knives, so we don't need surgeons. <laughs> you know, it, it, and, uh, you know, that's why I'm, you know, working to recreate uh, cre- create a new online channel that has the spirit and heart of much music. But uh, using updated technology and social media and user generated content and brand new VJs who I've been training that I've recruited from around the country. Mm-hmm. And we're going to focus on uh, independent artists and those from smaller record labels. And that uh, will be coming in the spring. And, uh, you know, I talked to Much Music about making it Much Music, yeah. you know, the new Much Music. And there's, there was interest there. Um, the conversation is kind of stalled. Um, with, you know, with one individual who was supposed to carry it forward. It's kind of sat there at the moment, but uh, uh, I'll take that to be the holidays because Much Music is is a brand that still has tremendous life in it. Mm -hmm. And for it to lay there dead like it is, because there's no Much Music anymore. There's a channel called Much, which runs comedy shows.
1: It's a bland reality network now.
2: It doesn't, there's no reason for it to exist anymore. Yeah. Um, There's nothing distinct about it. There's no personality, no character to it, no individuality. There's no reason really to watch it. It's just another channel running the same kind of things that other channels run. Yeah. So it's reason for existence no longer is there. Um, Much music is not viable possibly as a television channel anymore, but online, absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, it's there and it's just tragic that much music trashed itself. Just when it could have it could have magnified its reach a hundredfold a thousandfold using the internet, instead it was intimidated by the internet. Huh. The management that was in place at the time didn't understand the internet, didn't understand, what much music was really about didn't understand much music much music strengths yes. they were constantly saying that people can watch videos by themselves on much mu- uh, on the uh, on the internet now why do they want much music they don't want to watch much music anymore we're just going to run tv shows instead of videos and they didn't understand that much music was never just about music videos no nope. it was about how we contextualized music videos how we played with them how we played with pop culture what we did with music videos, how we used those as grist for the mill to launch into other shtick. Um, And also watching much music videos with VJs was like watching something with your friends, as opposed to the solitary lone action of sitting and watching something by yourself, watching something by yourself. You feel half like a loser. Mm -hmm. Watching it with uh, your online friend or your, your on television friend, who was the VJ who you could relate to knowing that other people were watching at the same time, that common experience that was created, that sense of connection was what much music was about. And much music was poised to rule the internet. And instead they ran screaming from it, like it was on fire. (laughs) And they, you know, I'll never forget the person who was in charge of programming looking at me and saying, our viewers are stupid and they just want shit. So we're just going to give them shit. And that was the moment I knew much music was not coming back, that it was going to continue its descent. Mm -hmm. And it was that individual along with one other individual that were the reasons that I, uh, I quit much music. Mm -hmm. Um, Every other VJ got a, got a big goodbye party. Uh, Ed didn't because I quit. Nobody else quit. Everybody else was replaced. Um, I walked away from the toxic management that was there, because I also saw which direction they were going. They wanted me to dumb everything down. They, at one point, said that our viewers are stupid and can't remember anything that happened more than three months ago, so don't reference anything that happened more than three months ago. And their idea of who the Much Music viewer was, was completely wrong. Much Music (laughs) viewers were smart. They were sharp. And we were doing an Ed series at the time called Smart Ass, the Ed the Sock Report, which was a documentary series. And the uh, first one was on something called Promosexuals, which was showing how pop stars and celebrities used the media to push their stuff, like, you know, fake scandals and uh, also about how Bono, um, all of his charity initiatives happened to coordinate with or correspond with a new album coming out or a new YouTube product coming out. You know, we just sort of pulled the mask off the (laughs) machinations of the industry. And then another one was called what's wrong with hip hop when hip hop was still seen as something that was, you know, too much for the audience the, the, the women in it and the drug use. And, and what we did was we showed the origins of hip hop, where it came from way back in like the sixteenth century, with griots, which were African bards, more or less, and showed how it developed, how the, the development of what rap and hip hop were, um, and then realized, you know, concluded at the end when we compared hip hop videos to eighties hair metal videos, they were the same. They had the same use of women. Mm-hmm. They had the same uh, implied drug use. They had all of the same things, but one was for white people and one wasn't, and we determined that the only Thing that was wrong with hip hop is that it was done by black people so people were afraid of it as opposed to the stuff done exactly the same by white people um and we uh, we were a finalist for documentary best documentary with the canadian association of broadcasters awards and they only allowed half hour documentaries we submitted an hour one and they liked it so much they allowed it to stand for contention and we were a runner-up um but and our ratings were huge like our ratings on these documentaries, which went back a couple of centuries, um, were huge. And they were still telling me, no, our audience can't follow that. They're not interested in anything older. And it's like, but look at based, the numbers. Based on what? <laughs> based on nothing. Yeah. Like I had, based on, they had, an, they had some idea of who the audience was and what the audience wanted. Here I was with hard numbers showing them that they're, what they believed was incorrect. And they continued to insist that what they believed was correct in the face of numbers proving them wrong. This was the kind of mindset that killed much music.
1: Well, yeah, and it doesn't make sense because I can see if they make decisions based on numbers, based on uh, sponsorship and who's going to fill the pockets. And if the numbers are lining up in the opposite direction, none of that makes any sense.
2: No, that what they did to much music was unconscionable. They they didn't understand the channel. They didn't understand why it was popular. This uh, program director uh, woman would have her TV, her TV could split into four or six screens. Like the one screen could split into four or six screens. So you could monitor the feeds from different channels. Mm -hmm. And she wasn't monitoring much music or much more music. She was monitoring MTV channels. And you'd go in and she'd say, why can't we do a show like that? And there was numerous reasons why. One, that's a different channel with a different vibe to it. Two. Mm-hmm. We don't have the money. Three, we don't have the manpower. And the channel became a series of derivative reality shows yeah. that were knockoffs of MTV shows, but done really poorly. Yeah. Because the people that stayed, I mean, I quit, Rick quit, George quit, Rachel quit. Um, you know, the people who were sort of the mainstays, Master T quit. Mm-hmm. Like the people who everybody, th- when they think of much music, they think of these people. We all left and in fairly short order, one after the other.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
2: you know, we left for a reason. George left before all of us because he got his CBC deal. Yes. Um, but, uh, you know, and then Rick jumped to Entertainment Tonight Canada. Mm-hmm. I left and stayed just doing my city TV late night show. Mm-hmm. Um Probably should have jumped to one to another network at the time, but I so enjoyed working for Chum and the people there that I foolishly stayed there instead of going to someplace bigger. Um, and you know that went against me after Chum was sold because you'd go to other networks who would call you for meetings, and then they'd say, "Well, you're so associated with the Chum brand that uh, we can't use you because then people will think of Chum and then want to watch another channel," which
1: wow.
2: doesn't make any. It's not how television works. Um, People
1: follow the character. They follow the person, the the personality.
2: Yeah. You look at, you look at, well, first of all, George had gone to CBC and Rick had gone to entertainment tonight, Canada. So it proves that that's not the case. Mm -hmm. Um, But also in the U S when you've got a character that or uh, an actor that's that's popular and their series ends on one network, another network will swoop in and grab them and give them a new show because People already have a pre-existing relationship with this individual, mm-hmm. and they didn't under, they don't understand that in Canada. The difference is in the U.S., <laughs> making television is a business. In Canada, making television is the cost of doing business. They only make television here because they have to so that they can run the American shows that they sell the, the biggest uh, sponsor packages for. And wow. so it's a pain in the ass for them. If they were if they were told by the CRTC tomorrow that they don't have to do any programming in Canada, there would be zero programming produced in this country. Nothing.
1: I'm thinking of an example of that was when Canadian Idol was out when you're talking about 330 million people down in in the south doing American Idol. They're like, "Oh, let's do this Canadian version." It wasn't that that would probably put them in the hole.
2: Well, it you noticed it didn't continue. Well,
1: exactly. <laughs> it, like it,
2: it, it, it didn't last because, because there,
1: there's no way they could afford or sustain that.
2: No, the, the, the licensing costs, first of all, for that were huge. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you're in the hole right off the bat. Uh, the audience, they can't possibly build the audience that they need for something like that. Plus, it was done by Canadian companies that don't understand show business. Yeah. They understand the mechanics of making television. They don't understand the magic of making television. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like there's some singers that are, that are mechanically good singers, but they don't have that oomph. Yeah. They don't have that thing that separates them from everybody else. And that's the thing about Canadian television. They'll buy American formats and they'll produce things which are technically competent. Yeah. But content-wise there's no spirit. It just lies there on the floor.
1: The characters and personalities in Canadian television who have left an impact. They're almost like folk legends. They're like Mr. Dress up, you know?
2: Oh, Mr. Dress up. What a wonderful guy. Ernie Combs was. Exactly. So Um, I feel like there's,
1: there's certain things in Canadian culture like yourself that are something that have stuck around and meant something because they were deeper than that.
2: Well, thank you for that. And, uh, You know, it's uh, it's still uh, television has become very conservative in Canada. Mm -hmm. There was a time during the golden age of chum television, of city TV and much music and fashion television and sex TV and and all these other channels. I forgot. um, There was a time when things were where we were expanding the parameters of what television could be. You know, we were pushing the borders. We were saying, why not? when people said, you can't do that with television, we were saying, why not? We're gonna try it Mm -hmm. and we're gonna do it. And there was a lot of just trial and error, um, but they were willing to do trial and error. Their programs weren't created in focus groups. They were created when a creator had a passion in their gut to create something. And so what you got on the screen was somebody's vision, not the product of marketing. And so there was inspiration in what you saw there was somebody with a real passion for what they were making. And Moses, he, was, he made sure that you had a passion for what you were doing. I remember mm-hmm. I only had two meetings with Moses total. I mean, we'd see each other, um, but two actual meetings. And he tried to bust my balls and I busted his balls back. Mm-hmm. And when he determined that, no, you had a vision and a passion for what you were doing, he'd leave you alone and let you do it because he respected creators who were not just there to make money, who, who, who had a vision and treated it like an art form in a sense. Though I would never say, call myself an artist, you, you treat it like an art form. You treat it like an artist treats their canvas. Um, you have a particular attachment to it and a particular vision for how it should go and how it shouldn't go. And so, you know, once Moses sussed out who had the vision and who didn't, he'd let them do their thing, which that is just not something that is done today.
1: After these messages, we'll be right back. Guess what, friends? I have a new voicemail number just for you. Give us a call at Dope Nostalgia. Our number is 780-851-8785. Leave us a message. Pick up the phone, just like you used to in the old days. Remember, before text messaging? Yeah, we used to actually call each other. If you just want to be heard and be on the podcast, give us a call. Once again, our dope nostalgia hotline, 780 851 8785. Pick up the phone. Phone. phone! Remember, this number is Canadian, so long distance charges may apply.
0: Ed the Sock here at HMB. You know, unless you're a famous and attractive celebrity like me, The customer service in most places is crap. But at HMV, you don't have to be a celebrity to get treated famously. Is there something I can help you with? Yeah, I'm looking for that kind of metal, kind of noisy, kind of rocking, kind of metal thing. Oh, you must be in the new Megadeth. Hey, Ed, here's that Carpenter CD you were looking for. So come into HMV for customer service that'll knock your socks off. All right, I'm done. Where's my free CD?
1: Who would have been one of your broadcasting heroes?
2: Oh, it's a hard one. Um, see, because I love television, yeah. but my broadcasting heroes were like TV characters and dramas and sci-fi and action shows. Yeah. Um there was a character na- a guy named Morton Downey Jr. Yes. who did a notorious uh Jerry Springer type show yeah. where he was just he was just such an asshole. I remember it. Yeah, it but it was so entertaining, um, <laughs> because he broke rules. Yeah. I I mean, the kind of broadcasters I liked were ones who broke rules, mm. the ones who said, why not? You know, the early Saturday Night Live cast, who said, why not? Um, Second City, who, you know, SCTV, television, that did things that other people weren't doing, yeah. um, that especially the early days when they had no budget, and they used inspiration and to put content on screen, not beautiful production values, but content.
1: Yeah.
2: And um, there was a TV show called uh, Fernwood Tonight, which was a send up of local market talk shows. And they had like a cheap couch and a cheap background and folding TV tables and local guests, like the guy who ran the hardware store, who also had a particular talent. And it was a brilliant show. It was, a, it was stripped. It ran five nights a week. Um, you can't get it on DVD now. It was created by Alan Thick, a Canadian. Uh-huh. And it was a brilliantly satirical show that just put right out there how cheap it was. And that probably had greater influence on me than any television as far as as a creator. That had greater influence on me than anything else. Um, I wish I could get that on DVD. Now there's a little bit of it. Still on uh, YouTube. And it was Fred, the great Fred Willard's first TV gig. He played the second banana, Jerry Hubbard, and you know him from Best in Show and and numerous other movies. Um, His brilliance was honed on this show where he was playing this dim bulb second banana. That show had tremendous influence on me. And another show that only ran half a season called the $1.98 Beauty Show Mm -hmm. or $1.98 Beauty Pageant, which just lampooned the glitz of beauty pageants and how empty they were, but doing it really on the cheap. Mm. (laughs) Um, And I just love that idea of calling attention to the fact that, you know, being proud of the fact that you have no money as opposed to being embarrassed of it. Yeah. And, you know, being honest with your audience, being brutally honest with your audience. So they're on side with you you're not trying to put, put on airs and you're not trying to put one over on them. They're conspirators with you. As soon as they're watching the show, they're co-conspirators. Yeah, And that's what's important. And that's, you know, those are the things that really um, always inspired me. And cheap shows made out of Channel 11 in Hamilton. And, uh, you know, where I could watch that and say, geez, I could do that, you know, cause it was made locally, it was made close. So it's like TV is not something that's far away and distant. Interestingly, growing up, city TV wasn't my inspiration mm-hmm. and neither was much music. I never, before I started at much music, I never watched much music. Mm-hmm. And even while I was on much music, I didn't watch much music, <laughs> um, you know, because uh, I did my own thing. I didn't try to emulate what was there.
1: It probably helped develop your character and what you needed to do better just not being a spectator of it how about things like the tom green show like do you feel like i feel like definitely there's no growth in in what you're doing without breaking the rules and well you
2: have to and you have to break the right rules yeah when ed started he was uh in the married with children vein Mm -hmm. and old vaudeville shtick but at one point i realized that in order to keep in order if you're doing stuff that's sort of shocking and edgy you have to keep pushing the shock and the edgy up and up and up until you become a a cartoon of yourself and there's Mm. no future in that so i started using ed instead as a a tool for for, for satire and to make comments on public issues and on current events and things of that nature yeah and um so that that was the the choice i made to develop in that direction tom uh, was a victim of his own success in that he was able to fool people doing those, those skits on the street because people didn't know he was Tom Green. Mm. And then he became so successful, everybody knew, oh, it's Tom Green. So he couldn't get those legitimate reactions. Right. I mean, Tom's a great pioneer. Tom actually got his TV show because of my TV show. Wow. Be- his Because uh, I started on cable access and in Toronto and cable access in, in Ottawa was very competitive with Toronto and they wanted their own show their own rule-breaking show. And so they took Tom Green to be an answer to Ed the Sock. And, you know, then Tom went on from cable to, to do well on MTV. And he's been a pioneer in online entertainment. Right now he's doing a tour of America in a, uh, a jury-rigged van. Well, yes. It's more of a remodeled van with his dog, yeah. which is brilliant. I think um, so. You know, uh, Tom is a is a brilliant creator. I'm glad that
1: he's continued to reinvent himself, you know? Like- yeah.
2: there's no question the curb yeah there's no question the the man uh is an innovator and uh i'm you know he and i are we weren't friends for a long time um because he felt very competitive i never did um and then we but as time goes on you know you get older and we became friends Mm -hmm. and uh, he encouraged me to do the live tour that we did a uh, year and a half ago of Canada, live, live Ed the Sock uh, comedy tour, uh-huh. which we toured across. You know, we were, we were in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. We were in Calgary, um, had great audiences. The show was great. Um, then we were going to pick continue it, but then COVID happened. And yeah. we sort of said, okay, we're going to shelve that for the time being.
1: It's still on the table.
2: It's still on the table. I'd love to do it again. But right now working on the music network, um, getting that readied, Staying that, with the online, you know, the, the social media stuff. I um, think that the
1: Music Network is a brilliant idea, especially in a time now where we are, I think, very nostalgic. And it would mean a lot to many people to have that connection with something that was as powerful as Much Music was during that time and those personalities.
2: I would love to, you know, to, to make it the new Much Music, to reinvent it and call it Much Music, working with CTV and Bell. To make it that i don't know if that's going to happen um you know despite the fact that the guy at the top was very interested in it um there's all kinds of politics that goes on that i'm not familiar with yeah so who knows if that'll happen and if it winds up being called the music station which is what i'm planning to call it which is calling back to the nation's music station mm. um then uh we, we do it on our own so be it um but there's a need for music to be curated so that people go there there's a need for people to feel comfortable again with that format like vjs and the new vjs that i've been training are amazing personalities um and there's a need for that kind of, there's a there's a desire there's no need it's not like food yeah. uh, or shelter <laughs> but there's a desire for that kind of programming to come back so i'm hoping that uh you know we're gonna do a kickstarter in march and uh that uh, help us uh, find a uh, a headquarters um to I'd like do that to, and possibly a couple
1: i'd like to be a promoter and a helper with getting this out there so um Great. anything that we can do as a podcast to promote it will do for you absolutely i
2: appreciate that i appreciate that yeah and that's so that's what i'm doing now and you know that and the radio show which people can listen it turns it we turn it into a podcast on fu network if you want to listen to the the programs look under fu network yeah. you know F-U-N-E-T-W-O-R-K, Fu f-u-network uh, wherever podcasts are, mm-hmm. you'll listen to the various, the various shows we have. And the live radio show is turned into a podcast uh, immediately after on Fridays. But if people want to call in and interact with Ed, they can listen live. It's uh, Saga 960. Saga is spelled S-A-U-G-A because the station's in Mississauga. Okay. Saga960am.ca. Um, and you can listen live between 2 and 3 p.m. Eastern time on Fridays and call in and just talk to ed um and we've had some very interesting calls i really enjoy that aspect of it that's
1: fantastic i'll make sure i share that link with everybody um and before you leave
2: today i do definitely
1: want to say hi to ed once
2: (laughs) sure let me go get ed yeah hold on a second fantastic ed look (laughs) she wants to talk to you oh christ
0: (laughs) hello
1: You sound a little cranky.
0: What do you mean I sound a little cranky? When do I not sound cranky? This isn't, listen, I'm smiling. This is me happy.
1: (laughs) Well, thanks for uh, rolling out of bed or whatever it was you're doing to come say hi. I appreciate it.
0: Well, what am I supposed to do? I've got an adoring audience. Without me, (laughs) without you, I'd be nothing. I almost did that the other way around. Without me, you'd be nothing. No, without you, I'd be nothing. I would just be some novelty act somewhere. (laughs) <laughs> Instead, I'm a novelty act that's lasted 35 years or however long I've been around. Since 1987, Cheers. I've been around longer than most of my audience.
1: Cheers to that. And thank you for being a part of the show today. I appreciate uh, everything you've done. It was a great conversation.
0: Blah, I... blah, blah. All right, I'm going to give you back to <laughs> I I can't stand this kind of toadying. I'm gone. See you later.
2: <laughs> All right, sorry. Sorry about that.
1: That's cool. No, I do appreciate it. Uh, it was a great chat and... Um, I'll, I'll wrap it up on a very odd question to throw you off. Okay. I've been asking a lot of the Canadian guests, where do you think Chris Shepard is hiding?
2: I never knew Chris. Yeah. I never knew Chris. I think that there's, I think there's a fan group for him on Facebook or something yeah. that I saw the other day, Oh yeah. but I, I have no idea where Chris went. Um, he, there's a guy that should have been on much music. I don't know what happened. I think he was making too much money DJing um, to want to work for much. Um, Oh, I don't know if you can hear my cat now complaining. Mm -hmm. One of my cats is bitching that she wants to get out of the office here. (laughs) Um, So uh, I don't know where Chris is, but wherever he is, I hope he's happy.
1: Yes. And uh, once again, hey, thanks for spending the time with me today. I really appreciate it. no problem,
2: Naomi. If people want to find Ed, it's at Ed the Sock on Twitter and on Instagram, Ed underscore the underscore sock. And there's an Ed the Sock uh, page on Facebook as well. All right. Thank you, Naomi. It's been fun.
1: It was a blast. Thank you, Stephen. I hope you have a wonderful night. Thanks. You too. Take care.
0: Okay.
2: Bye-bye. Bye.
1: Bye.
0: Here's Limp biscuit. This video starts off with Fred Durst doing a Freedom 55 commercial. Is this me in the future? And now here he is surrounded by pretty girls wearing his signature clothes. With his tiny penis, this is the only way he can get women into his pants. Just look. Surrounded by babes, and he's still pulling his own crotch. How about this shot? Ripped off from Guns N' Roses. Who ripped off you, too. Who ripped off the Beatles. Speaking of ripped off, how cheated do you think all their fans will feel when they grow up and realize these guys are a fraud? All those kids who hate the manufactured, contrived, artificial sweetness of the boy bands fall for the manufactured, contrived, artificial anger of these stupid clowns. Hey, we're millionaires, and boy, are we pissed off about it he's so damn cool how come he's cruising la in a luxury car and can't pick up a single chick
1: <laughs> thank you Stephen. and uh once again check out those links that he dropped there uh you can find them all over social media the fu network and uh wow i had the sock that's that's some serious canadian history right there oh wow and uh next week so i'm on another podcast L2L podcast with my friends uh Charlie and Quinn. We did a swap cast not too long ago, and I still haven't played the episode that I did with them. It's the first episode I've ever done about an album. And it's about the album Three Sides to Every Story by the band Extreme. So that's next week. Join me, Charlie and Quinn, right here on Dope Nostalgia. And you guys have a wonderful week. We'll see you later. Bye.
0: Follow us on Facebook at Dope Nostalgia, Instagram, Dope underscore Nostalgia, or on Twitter at Nostalgia Dope.
1: This podcast is licensed by SoCan because we believe that artists should be paid for their work.